Hey parents, what if there was nothing stopping you from becoming abundant to the max in all things? Finances, time, nothing was holding you back from becoming your healthiest, happiest, most financially abundant self yet and sharing these tools with your kids. Thanks to our annual and monthly angel members, we've been able to grant over $100,000 in partial scholarships so that souls who want access to life-changing teachings in the angel membership have that opportunity. And every membership comes with teachings specifically for kids. Don't let your egoic mind tell you you're not worthy because the angels and I are here telling you you are worthy. This is your year, but I can't help you get where you're going if I'm not working with you in one of my programs. Become an angel member now. Go to theangelmedium.com, then the angel membership tab to sign up today. If you need a scholarship, let us help you. Scroll to the bottom of the angel membership page and click the link for partial scholarship options. Details are in the show notes. And thank you. Thank you for coming together as a community. Thank you for contributing what you can each month. And thank you for helping us to reach hundreds of souls with life-changing teachings in the membership this year. This is going to be your best year yet. Hello, beautiful souls. Welcome back to the Angels and Awakening podcast. You'll also be able to hear this over on our Intuitive Kids podcast. I'm really, really excited today because one of my favorite people in the entire world, Dr. Lisa Miller, is on the show today. You've heard her on the Angels and Awakening podcast before, um, where we talked to her about her book, The Awakened Brain. But today we're also going to be talking to her about her previous book, The Spiritual Child, and really understanding the importance of that spirituality within childhood and really what happens, the difference as you become an adult between the the child who is spiritual, what adult do they turn into? The child who is not spiritual, what adulthood do they have? We're going to be going into that. The other thing that I want to be exploring is something completely separate from childhood that we all can relate to that spirit's really been bringing into my life full force and wanting me to have this conversation with Dr. Lisa um, today. So I'm excited for everybody to hear that second piece as well. Lisa, welcome to the show. Julia, I'm so excited to be back. I love your show. I love that you speak from such a deep spiritual heart and that you yourself connect to the transcendent reality. It's just really wonderful what you're putting out there for everybody, men and women, but particularly for women. It's great. Thank you. We talked in the first podcast episode. I'm just going to catch some people up in your first. Well, I think it's your second book, The Awakened Brain. Um, you talk about how you were working in the area of the hospital where people were inpatient stay, having suicidal thoughts, various different things coming up for them. But they had that mental break. And you began to ask this question as a professional, why are some of my patients getting getting better and not coming back. And some of my patients are coming back every couple of years. And tell us what you found along the way. Julie, I think that sums it up perfectly that, 
you know, in on an inpatient unit where people come during a time of tremendous suffering, it can be triggered by a loss from the outside, you know, death of a loved one or major upheaval, or it can come from inside, but they're there because they really hurt. And what I saw clear as day was that psychotherapy is helpful, but it alone for the vast majority of patients, psychotherapy alone was insufficient, that there needed to be as well a deep spiritual engagement. And this could be someone who is Catholic, Christian, Hindu, Jewish, Muslim. This could be someone spiritual, but not religious, but absolutely a deep spiritual engagement to not just try to recover and get back to baseline where we were before the whole thing started, but really to say, hey, I am in an unbelievable pain. What God do you ask of me now? What higher power are you showing me now? Deepening and strengthening. And in that way, really suffering, trauma, depression is the gateway to a spiritual awakening, to a deepening of our spiritual awareness. And that is not just recovery. That is renewal. That is making us more. And that's the trajectory of growth that really depression for most people is a developmental process of becoming more inside. Yeah. I love that. And I love the part in your book where you talk about there's two real key indicators for a person in their childhood as to the resilience that they will have as adults. And those two indicators are a parent who was affectionate and a parent who was spiritual. And the two go hand in hand. So very often what we see in the formation of a deeply spiritual child are two equal contributions from the parent. And the first is transparency, opening up her heart, his heart to pray out loud, to say, you know, right now I'm in a real struggle. I'm feeling this emptiness. I need to turn to God. This is a moment where in our family, we pray or we meditate or whatever truly authentically is your own spiritual response to suffering. You teach your child live action by living it out loud. That is the greatest gift we can give our child. And equally important is our sustained walking the walk of spiritual values. They need to see our unconditional love that it doesn't matter if they just got an A or a D. It doesn't matter if they lost the game or won the game. And even when they fail on what we hold most dear, maybe the values of our family, I love you every bit as much. And together, we're going to learn here to grow. So this deep, profound, it's really radical love, unconditional love. And when a child has both parental openness about our spiritual life and our unconditional love, which really is a type of sacred or divine love, the way a parent loves the child, the way a grandparent loves the child, then that child knows the taste of pure love through the parent has a very same taste as the taste of God's presence. And the child is made profoundly forever spiritually strong. Now, there's a piece here that I think you know is important, which is we're all born with the natural hardwiring to be spiritual. It's in our deep genetic code. We are naturally spiritual beings. We know that through many peer-reviewed scientific articles. Every one of us is physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. We know it. 
but it is one third innate, two thirds environmentally formed, which means that contribution, the two thirds embrace of the hardwired inborn spiritual core has to happen from parents and grandparents. It needs to be brought to life so that that natural gift in every single one of our children can be realized. Now, does that continue on into adulthood where you still have the one third is innate and two thirds, you still need community, you need education, you need to be surrounded by a spiritual community? So Julie, that's a beautiful point to raise. And it is that, yes, in our first two decades, there is formation, molding of the spiritual core, whether it's in a faith tradition or in some other way that the family lives out their spiritual life. But faith traditions are very good at this. You know, they have hundreds, thousands of years of a language of the sacred and the transcendent, a code of values through which we treat each other in an I, thou loving spiritual way, a community through which we can strengthen our connection to God and love each other as children or emanations of God. So, you know, religion really is a very powerful way to shape the spiritual core. And we know it works, provided that the parent walks the walk and all the teachers walk the walk. And that's almost always the case. No, you know, humanity is foible, but very often the case. That said, we are always whether we're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, naturally spiritual beings, we are always open. We are always ready to deepen and awaken. And our awakened awareness is our birthright. So even if I'm totally shut off and I'm 45 and I just had a very painful loss, I lost my spouse, my family's left me. Really, you know, the bottom out pain, that can be the gateway to spiritual awakening. It is always there for us. We're built for this. Fascinating. I've seen in other research as well, this spirituality as a child doesn't just impact us as becoming resilient adults, meaning that we're able to handle pain better as adults, but we're seeing high schoolers who are spiritual getting better grades and less suicide rates in teens who are spiritual. Talk to us a little bit about that and some of the other benefits of spirituality in those who are younger. The most important thing we can do as parents, absolutely, is to strengthen the natural spirituality in our children. A teenager with a strong spiritual core And that's exactly the language in my extensive work with the Pentagon that we use, the spiritual core, physical fitness for the physical core, spiritual practice for the spiritual core. A teen with a strong spiritual core is at 80% decreased risk for addiction, right when we are walking through the window of risk, which is late adolescence, emerging adulthood. That's when people set up patterns that often last our entire life. But when there's a strong spiritual core, give me any two adolescents and tell me this one here, he has a strong spiritual core. And over here, he doesn't know what you're talking about. Generally speaking, there's a four fifths chance that the young adult, the teen with a strong spiritual core 
is not addicted to alcohol, is not addicted to drugs, is not addicted you know, to behavioral addictions, to gambling or pornography. It's the same mechanism that makes addiction happen inside our brain. Whether the object that I've got to have it, what do you got to have? It doesn't matter if it's alcohol or drugs, gambling or internet, it doesn't matter what it is. The I've got to have it brain loop runs and it needs to eat. It's like a hungry, you know, bottomless pit. And if there's not drugs and alcohol available, the hungry I've got to have it. It's like a Pac-Man back from my day moves over and eats the next thing. Right. So this is a stance in living, an addictive stance which really takes a lot of the joy and love and connectivity out of our lives. It becomes an, I got to have it constant grasping for things. And we train young people in the air and water of our culture, you know, minus the spiritual core. If you go to a place where there's no talk about spirituality and there's no talk about our ultimate connection to the higher power, who I call God, people have different words or spirit universe, that public square that is silent on spiritual life is a public square that is nothing much beyond, I've got to have it. I've got to have it. We teach that to young kids in school. Here's your goal. How are you going to go after it? And all that matters is that this goal that you set for yourself, you get it. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. And the second you get it, whether it's money or recognition or the house or whatever it is, after about two days, it's not so great anymore. And the I've got to have it goes looking for the next thing. Well, we can welcome that same teenager, that same young adult into a different conversation with the very heart, the essence of life. And instead of what do you want and how am I going to get it? Hey, what is life showing me now? What is spirit in and through all life challenging me to understand why was it that the thing that was 99% in the bag, that school, that job, that promotion, somehow against all odds, that door was closed, that big red door that I fairly and squarely worked for was closed? Well, the same force that closed the red door opened over here, this big, bright yellow door that I didn't even know existed. I would have told you there weren't yellow doors. And over here, well, here's the job that actually wakes up my heart in a way I didn't know was possible. This big yellow door, it guided me to my mentor or my partner. So the thing we want so bad and that we're trained to think is only earned like air traffic control through our skill and our running it all, radical control. That's only based on what we think we want, based on everything over our shoulder, back information our own history, but the yellow door where God guides us, where we are surprised through synchronicity, through dreams, through mystical experiences, this yellow door, that is the type of catch in the catcher's mitt. That's a high pixel ding. We know what that feels like intuition, gut instinct. And when that high pixel hit comes for the yellow door, that has information that has yet to unfold before us. It's not what we want. It is better than what we want. It is more right for us because it is guiding us forward. And that guidance is sacred. That is the loving, holding, guiding presence, who I call God, higher power spirit. So what I hear you saying here too, I want to kind of regurgitate some of this is 
the communities who are not spiritual and just the only conversation with children is forward momentum, what's the goal, what's the next thing, that's a lot of what dopamine does as I'm starting to understand more of dopamine. Yeah. Yes. There's a book that I'm reading that's called The Molecule of More. It doesn't matter how much you get. And it's hard for some people to understand this, but I've seen this. It doesn't have it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how many vacations you go on. It doesn't matter what title you have. It doesn't it doesn't matter because for dopamine to actually give you that benefit within your body, the reward itself doesn't please and make that chemical come out what happens is it's just the drive to get to that place keeps you going but it's an empty reward there's nothing really for you at the end so you're constantly thinking that you're doing good moving forward like you're going after the next thing but you're constantly empty inside and this the communities who are really focused on the spiritual when you can tune in and hear the intuition. No, I'm gonna rephrase this. You were talking about the possibilities that it seems like you're saying that those who are spiritual are able to almost see more possibilities than those who are not within the spiritual community. Is that correct? I would even say that every single one of us is born a spiritual being and those who work the muscle, who practice whether it's prayer, meditation, spiritual decision-making, spiritual values, service, love of neighbor, the more we build the strength of the spiritual core, the more we are able to awaken and see into life, not just more possibilities, but even the one that is just right for us, far beyond what we thought we wanted. So that notion of being unshackled from this constant, it's almost as if someone put a handcuff on us and tied us to you know the treadmill at the gym, faster, faster, faster. And then spirituality unlocks that binding handcuff and says, you are free to actually go somewhere to have a path off the treadmill. And that's a journey. And it's a journey where, you know, we have more possibilities, but we even feel and know that we're guided to our true direction. You feel in your own alignment with it. You know your intuition and it all comes together, kind of feeling that divinity, um, that oneness, that connection with God, universe, source, knowing that you have a purpose here, allowing that purpose to come in and guide you, direct you, listening. It's interesting. I've been um, watching this show and they said something that was so fascinating, but it's to this point. They said, light your life, all life for every single person is like a labyrinth. Um, If you've seen like those circles, that's kind of like a maze inside. But if you imagine that the labyrinth almost looks like a tornado going deeper and deeper and deeper, that that is life. And what I really kind of tuned into energetically as they were saying this is that with that labyrinth, you can imagine that there's some dead ends that you come to. And I know that sometimes in my life, I'll know, like, I know, like, I know I've got to go in this direction. I have to do this thing. I have to learn from this teacher. I have to just have to go in this direction, create this thing. 
but sometimes it doesn't work out. And you could think to yourself, well, am I not as intuitive as I thought I was? I, I felt called in this direction. But sometimes there's lessons in those that redirect you. And without that previous experience, the next time that you're going to build upon it or go deeper into it, you couldn't have gotten there without the previous path making the mistake or maybe even failing at something at first. The guided lesson, the learning. Yes. Yes. And then you are prepared. Nothing is wasted in this beautiful divine design. Every single bit prepares us for our journey ahead. There's nothing from our lives that is useless. There's no pain that's fruitless. It is all preparing us for our spiritual walk. And you know, even times when it seems like, oh, this hurts so bad. It doesn't need to feel good all the time. Sometimes they yeah. hurt and they hurt because in the deepest essence, they're painful. The loss of someone we love or the, you know, sense that there's a person we love who doesn't love us back. I mean, that, you know, heartbreak, heartbreak is a way that many people actually wake up spiritually that, you know, my mom loved me. My dad loved me. I go off to school and there's my first boyfriend. You love me. And he says, yes, I love you. And we're boyfriend and girlfriend. It's my first boyfriend. And then after three and a half months, he breaks up with me. I'm like, what? He said, well, I, I don't love you anymore. I'm like, well, but how could you not love me anymore? Because my mother loved me and she still loves me. How could you stop loving me? And it was so hard to grasp at you know, 19 or 18. And it actually, for many people, is sort of the experience that is at the trailhead of spiritual walk, spiritual path for the rest of our lives. That what you don't love me, well, is love real? Or do, do we last? And the discovery that yes, love is real. Love is built into life itself. Love is the force that holds us up when we think everything hurts so bad, we can't stand it. We don't fall through a black hole. Love is buoyant. Love is good. Love is guiding. So that discovery is often potentiated when a human doesn't love us as we wish to be loved. It's the opening where we actually probe and we see that every single bit of life is made of love. And you find so many people on the path to whom you can share love and who can't wait to love back, whether it's romantic love or friendship love or parent love. So I think that even our adversaries, the worst, worst moments of our lives, our adversities are actually part of the plan. We yeah. can grow and love much yeah. more than if we hadn't had those, you know, six months or two years of pain. Yeah. So I wanted to have you on too, because your work completely demonstrates the need for spiritual podcasts for kids out there, which is why we created the Intuitive Kids podcast. And I, I'm wondering, you know, the parents who are thinking to themselves, okay, uh, my kid is going to grow up to be more resilient and have all of these benefits. If I am a parent who is affectionate and spiritual. Openly spiritual openly spiritual out loud tell your own story of your own spiritual struggle and renewal you know every our kids are watching us like a hawk and when we run our own authentic heartfelt spiritual truth out loud our own yep. then our kids know foremost we talk about that here mom and i dad and i we talk about spirituality in our family because out there in the public square they might not hear a peep the second thing they know 
is that mom, dad, and I, we have a really deep relationship where we talk about feeling God's presence, where we talk about mystical experience. That's what we do here in our family. And it is a deep register. It's much deeper than whether I got an A or a C. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing that's essential is that the child knows that the spiritual realm is real. When we're young, when it's given a name, when it's lived by our parents who know all things that are true in the child's eyes, then the child knows in an inescapable way the rest of our lives that the spiritual realm is real. And I can tell you a story. Um, In my home, my mother was very outspoken about her spiritual life. I'm very grateful for my mother's depth of spiritual connection to God and that she told us about that. And, you know, she, at dinner table, she'd say, thank you, God, for the children. She felt it so deeply. She'd get tears in her eyes and thank you, God, for this sunset so much greater than what we could make as humans. And thank you, God. And everything was a gift from God. And we saw that my dad was more sort of private and quiet. He read a lot. He'd sit on the back porch and read, but when his own mother died. So my grandma died. I came down that very next day, very early in the morning. It was about 4 a.m., Julie. I mean, it was early. And for the first time ever, and I was an early riser, there was my dad already up. And he used to always sit in a certain armchair and read, but he was seated on the floor. My dad, my big dad, you know, six five. And I sat down next to him and he said, I had a dream. He said, in my dream, grandma came to me last night. And normally grandma would dress up in beautiful clothes and jewelry. But in this dream, my father said, grandma was wearing a very ordinary everyday gray suit she often wore around the house. And she was walking by my side. And where were we? My dad said, my grandma and I, we were walking down Grand Avenue in Des Moines, Iowa, where he'd grown up. The street we'd walked so many times side by side. And he's just had this dream and his mother has just been dead, not even 24 hours. And he says, I take this to mean that grandma's letting me know that she's been my mother and she will always continue to walk with me as my mother. It was so pure. It was so raw. My father told me the dream in his most painful moment of his mother's presence. So I know Julie, to the heart and bone that our ancestors walk with us. How do I know that? Because when I was a child, my father was open-handed, showed me and told me it's so. I'm a scientist. I've looked all around the world. I can tell you, yes, in China and India and in the Mexico, we human beings are built to be in connection with ancestors. Science is very clear about that. And if we do, we're less depressed and we recover better from mourning. But I know it's true because my father told me so. Yeah. So that totally answers my question of where I was going with this of as moms, we're just so busy. There's so much going on, especially in this day and age. And it kind of feels like this pressure of one more thing. Okay. How do I make sure that I'm openly spiritual with my child? And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And how do I accomplish that? And what I heard you just say is it's through your everyday interactions. It's through how it comes about in every day. There's also the kids' all of you, you know, Julie, you're so right. It's through being all of you. So being a spiritually supportive mom is absolutely not one more thing. Ironically, it's the most important thing we can do as mothers. And yet it is not one more 
thing to lift, one more heavy lift. What being a spiritually supportive mother is, is showing all of you, showing your spiritual heart, speaking out loud to narrate why is it that the family's driving over to the homeless shelter on Thanksgiving? Because this is, in your words, God's child. Whatever words are yours. So when, you know, so many good loving mothers constantly doing good things, I invite you as you're doing the exact same thing to openly share your spiritual view of why we're doing this now. Walking here on the trail, we're here to feel close to all God's creatures and know that we're so close. And, you know, there's a mom deer with her baby deer. Every mom loves her baby. That's how I feel about you. When we talk our talk, as we go through the exact same motions, our children know that the spiritual realm is real. And our children know that that is the rudder that actually stabilizes and drives and guides our lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in addition to that, like in that every day you have that, but the kids podcast, and then we also have these dinner questions where people can sign up to get new questions, spiritual questions to ask every single dinner to bring the quick, like family closer together. There's resources out there that people can use to just kind of integrate this into daily life. So a question that I might ask a teenager at dinner is who is someone who, from your spiritual heart, you consider a hero? Yeah. And it really yeah, is. we have that as one of the questions. Good. I'm so glad. Yeah. yeah. And the younger child, I might ask, would you share with me where you felt God's presence today? Oh, I love that. And that's what we can do every night at the dinner or table. To link spiritual awareness to how we love and treat one another. Was there anywhere today where of all people on earth, God put you to help someone out? You know, oh. circle time, was someone struggling? Was there someone not being treated with love and respect on the playground? Where did God put you to help heal our world today? Say those two again. Where did you feel God's presence? And, and where did God put you today? Yeah. To be a trail angel. Yeah. Someone else's journey. See, in this great symphony, we show up for each other and people show up for us and we show up for them. Yep. So the child becomes aware that it's not just Julie and Lisa here. God's presence is here too. The third presence always, which I would actually call the first presence, is always here. Relational spirituality. So that's one thing that Spirit has been talking about. There's a couple things I want to get to here, but one of them is... Spirit has been saying for about the last six months, in 2023, we all have to prioritize connection. And what I mean by that is I could be sitting by my family members watching a TV show at night. I might be scrolling my phone, checking my emails, doing different things. I might be by them, but I'm not connected to them. And I don't feel that connection. Connection is something palpable that you could almost jar it. You can feel it very deeply when you're connected to another person. It's a choice. You're so right. It's a choice. So my husband yeah. and I have coffee every morning for an hour before we start our day. And I find that if I leave my phone at home, I don't even bring it. Then we connect in a much deeper way. We laugh at each other's jokes. We go deeper. We go further. If I have my phone with me, 
things are not just cut into little pieces. We never go as deep. There's never that deep felt energetic harmonizing. So, uh, you know, I think the phone is, is really devastating. Just put it away, lock it up for an hour. Yeah. An hour. They actually sell that on Amazon, little phone jail cell phones where the entire family can put it into a little cell phone jail and you can lock it up for the night. I like that. It's a good image for the child. Yeah. <laughs> lock that phone away. And it's a choice. It's always a choice. Yeah. How else do you experience connection? How do you feel it? So I every morning, Julie, I make a prayer. It's how I start my day. And I thank God for waking up, first of all. right? And then I thank God for the sun, the air, the earth, the water, and all living beings of the air, earth, and water and beyond our earth. And then I ask that all living beings be blessed in God's love. And might I, as I think as a mother, we do have the spiritual um, right to put in a special prayer for our family, <laughs> yes. for our children and ourselves and our ancestors and relatives. I go out a bit of a ways with the relatives. And then I say, may I please, please open my heart in love that I might serve you today in love and that all that I do be in your love. And what I learned along the way and how I now end the prayers and please bless you, God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that opens up connection to God, but also to God's presence in and through all creation and us as ambassadors of carrying the torch of love and light. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I want to ask you about this because I have ADHD. I've always had ADHD. I do not do well with medications. Some people do, and that's absolutely fantastic that it helps them so much it doesn't work for me. And so what I understand about ADHD is that it's more of a lack of dopamine. You're not getting the same amount of dopamine that other people are getting. So you're constantly trying to follow that dopamine. There's also a lack of that frontal lobe activity. I'm wondering, because as I'm researching dopamine dopamine sounds a lot like intuition how is dopamine and intuition different okay so um i'm not an adhd expert i just want you yeah no totally a bit about spirituality and dopamine which is we looked at single gene candidates that might be associated with spirituality or might be associated with with despair and struggle and depression And what we found was that there were at least three, we found three, there could be plenty more, but there are at least three, and we published this article, single gene candidates. One is for the creation of serotonin. One is for the creation towards the creation of dopamine. And one is the little transmitter package that carries them across the synapse, okay? And when there was the gene variant, to create more serotonin, more dopamine, and more of the little carrier package for them, there was oftentimes a higher level of reported spirituality in that person's life. And interestingly, lower levels of spirituality and more depression were found 
when serotonin, dopamine, and the little carrier package were less abundant genetically. So what we can say is that on some level, looking out the airplane window, you know, spirituality and depression are sort of two sides of one door. Now, the good news is that how we practice the use of our inner life shifts our chemistry. You know, it's not that some people, we're not slated. It's not a fait accompli. How we practice opening our heart, connecting to God, love, it all builds and builds the spiritual core. And the spiritual core runs on neurocircuits and neurotransmitters. So no matter what our genetic code and we're all born as spiritual beings, but no matter what variant, high, medium, or low serotonin, high, medium, or low dopamine, high, medium, or low little package to carry that across the synapse, we all strengthen our spiritual awareness through using it. And Julie, you're a profoundly spiritual person. Profound. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's um it's just so interesting. So let me go back to this real quick. Does... Did you say all three have to be high serotonin, dopamine, and the carrier for them to have more of that spirituality? All that we confirmed in this study was that when there was high dopamine, and in particular, we looked at a particular variant, there's many. So these were single gene analyses, DRD2, one, one variant of dopamine, one variant for serotonin, and the little package, right? When there were in those single genes, Every gene, you know, um, just you learned this back, I'm sure, very well with Mendel, right? You can have one variant or you can have the other for every single gene, right? You And okay. when you happen to have the variant of high production for dopamine, high production for serotonin, high production for the little packager, that went hand in hand with the report of being more spiritually connected in life. Interesting. We only looked at them one by one. We didn't pile them all in at once. So the important question you asked was not answered by this study, whether there's some sort of additive effect or meta effect. Oh, you got all three, big leap. That can happen sometimes, but we, we looked at each gene. I'll tell you something though, once again, no matter what variant we have, we're still wired to be a spiritual being. Even if I'm wired to have a little bit less serotonin or a little bit less, I'm still wired as a human being to be a spiritual being. Every one of us. And Everyone's. every one of us. I love it. I love it. Because that's all we are on the other side. We're souls first. We come here in this packaged body, live a lifetime, which is often very short. But I've got this piece that keeps coming in that I have to tell you now. Sometimes you see within a person almost like these links together. And this is spirit that shows you this in a reading. And the links together, every link is a lifetime. And they show how the lifetimes fit together to bring this person into the work that they're doing. And so they keep showing me that for you, that it it hasn't just been this lifetime, but you've been working to get to this point um, and that you're going to continue this work in future lifetimes too, but it's all linked together. I'm very grateful, Julie. Thank you. That's very yeah. moving. And it has been my life's work this time. And I will share that I'm sure you found this, I would imagine in your own path, I'll ask, that there's an intuitive understanding of the work. And often there's mm -hmm. a sense of something that may unfold that's two years out or, you know, this a deep intuitive sense. And perhaps that comes on the journey of the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and sometimes... Um, 
I think the dense energy of this lifetime is just a lot to take in. There are some souls, uh, if you've ever looked at past lives and kids who come in and they know that they've had that past life, they even talk about their address or where they were, or what they did or what they would wear, or what their parents looked like. It's so important for your parents to know that the children, when they're about two or three, are talking up a storm about a past life. You know, I'm yeah. so glad you're putting that out there for your parents. When my son, Isaiah, who was adopted from an orphanage, just north of St. Petersburg, Russia, when he was a little boy in the back seat, maybe two and a half. <laughs> oh, mama. I said, what is that? He's like, well, I have three grandpas. I have grandpa Sid, my dad. I have grandpa Martin, Phil, my husband's dad. And then, <laughs> oh, there's grandpa Jan. Grandpa Jan, he tells me jokes in the barn. He's so funny. And I help him in the barn. Okay, so he was from rural you know, Russia. Grandpa Jan in the barn, right? It was, and the cadence and clarity about it is different than the sort of wandering quality of when a child's weaving a new story. There's a certainty, there's a momentum. My youngest child, Lila, once we drove behind the back of an old strip mall and she said, oh, Tom lives here. And I said, what? She said, Tom was not a good boy. And then she went on to say that the two boys in her current nursery school class, you know, Jason is a good boy and Ben is a good boy, but Tom was not a good boy. So there was some sort of bad guy and she remembered his presence. And again, the soul momentum, the clarity, and in this sort of grungy back of a strip mall place, you know, so they are ages sort of two to three full on. And my center child, she likes to go by center child, not middle child, <laughs> you know, at about two started speaking another language, which is not uncommon. Wow. And again, there was the clarity and the, you know, and the fluidity. And then, you know, that can be supported. Wow. You're tapping into an experience from another time. Was that last time? Yeah, that was last time. That's incredible. I love how you just put all of that together. That's amazing. So when you were raising your kids, was there any particular age that you started talking about spirituality or were you just right on it from the get-go? Oh, Julie, I'm so glad you asked that. The second they were born, you know, yeah, mommy loves you, daddy loves you, grandma and grandpa loves you, and God loves you. And in fact, we even tried to tell very important stories that we knew would come to our children sooner or later from our own spiritual perspective. So for instance, Isaiah, who was adopted from an orphanage north of St. Petersburg, Russia, we knew someday he would hear the sort of cultural narrative from the public square, you know, your mother gave you up, you know, the sort of non-spiritual, you know, public square minus spiritual heart. So we told our understanding of the pilgrimage, the sacred journey to find Isaiah, literally the day he was adopted at 10 months, mommy prayed for Isaiah, daddy prayed for Isaiah, pop-pop and grandma. And then we took a train to a plane, to an automobile, and we ran up the hill and there was Isaiah. God brought us Isaiah and we'd throw him in the air. And it was the finding Isaiah story guided by God. And then he got a little bit older and trains and planes were less interesting but he loved the river in our backyard and he'd play there in the mud and he just loved the river. So he said, Isaiah, 
you are our baby Moses. You came down this river in a basket. You know, the sort of symbolic child that can really get it, the true symbolism in life. And he said, yes, I am baby Moses. <laughs> so he got it that he was special and God sent him down the river. And then eight years old, older yet, I'm driving along Julie, you know, carpool. Isaiah's best friend, we'll call the kid Johnny, right? Johnny says, Psh! and Isaiah says, what? And he says, mama, mama. And he's a little concerned. Mama, Johnny says, my name is not Miller. You are not my mother. And I am not Jewish because my family is Jewish. And I said, Isaiah, don't you remember? And he said, oh, that's right. And he whips around to Johnny, eight years old now. I am baby Moses. <laughs> Johnny said, what? You know, and he said, I'm baby Moses. And he said, what? And as I said, never mind. And the never mind meant Johnny, you just don't get it. But I'm baby Moses. And then it got a little thicker. <laughs> Mama, and this time he's panicked. Mama, Johnny says, what about the woman who gave me up? Mm. And that's the narrative from the public square, right? I was given up. So I took a breath because every mom who loves this baby given by God knows this might come. And then from the back seat, oh, I know. God whispered in her ear and said that you were crying for me. Mm. So he put it together because we'd always supported our truly heartfelt spiritual narrative of the pilgrimage, finding Isaiah. Yeah. So then they yeah, solve their own okay. problems with spiritual awareness. God told him the answer. God, and, and in fact, the woman loved him and wrote two notes. One was, I'll be back in six months. And one was, I give up my rights. And it was so painful. She did love him and just couldn't get back and couldn't get back. And the orphanage called and she couldn't come back. So, you know, he was loved. He was right. Yeah. Oh, I just got shivers like or and the goosebumps when you told that story. It's so beautiful because you could just feel the divine coming through. And it's the somehow so-called most traumatic moment of our life. Oh, you were given up. You weren't wanted actually has a spiritual response, which was you were so loved that you were sent to another mom who also just loves you so much, you know. And I know this podcast episode has been more for parents than it has been for kids, but if there's any kids listening right now, what would you tell them right here, right now to help them on their journey? So you are a deep knower from day one, you were born a deep knower. And when you feel God, that's real. And whatever you see in your own eyes is true, is real. And if you share it with your mom and dad, they'll be really honored that you told them something so important. Mm, I love that. Dr. Lisa, thank you so much for being here. Your books are The Awakened Brain and The Spiritual Child. They're both on Amazon and everywhere you can find books. Tell everybody more where they can find you. Thank you. Well, so I've started out on Instagram. I've learned this new thing, right? So it's ampersand dr dot Lisa Miller, and I'd be delighted to connect. Dia, uh, Lisa Miller on Instagram. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you as always so much for being here. Really wonderful. So wonderful. Thank you for what you do and who you are. Thank you.
Want more episodes? Check out our parent podcast, Angels and Awakening. Beautiful souls, if you're super excited to develop your own intuition, go to theangelmedium.com and become an angel member today. Angel membership is for the whole family. Parents get access to hundreds of hours of past course content, new intuitive development circles, events, small groups, and more. And now kids get access to spiritual workshops, pre-recorded energy healings, and live events just for them. Start today at theangelmedium.com. And if you're the family who's really excited, you're ready to go all in developing all of your unique spiritual gifts, kids ages 14 and up can now enroll in my angel Reiki school with a parent. That's for the healers among us who feel called to grow their intuition to the max and serve humanity with their gifts. You'll learn Reiki energy healing, mediumship, how to deliver angel messages, and how to start your own family business. That's the Angel Reiki School at theangelmedium.com. Details are in the show notes. Now, do you want to do an exercise with me? Imagine God is pouring unconditional love through the top of your head. This unconditional love fills your body with yummy, shimmering energy from head to toe. So much so that God's love begins to radiate out from your entire body, from your heart, like rays of energy radiating out from the sun. Imagine God's infinite, unconditional love flows from your heart to everyone you love, to everyone in your school, to everyone listening to this podcast, and back to you. Your angels remind you they're always looking out for you, guiding you, directing you, protecting you. Talk to God and your angels all day long and listen to your heart for the positive, loving messages they have just for you.